Hello, and welcome to this episode of CTU Speaks. We have a strike date. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. You know, I'm a little hoarse, but guess what? I'm here. All right, that's okay. A lot of teachers, we get sick the beginning of the year because that's how we roll up in the classroom. But we press through it. We do press through it. And yes, we got a strike date. You know why? Because. Why we got 94% of teachers authorizing a strike. There we go. I'm not a math teacher, but that's a lot. That's more than 75%. It is. Way more than 75%. And that's the third time in a row since that law went into effect. Mm-hmm. It thought it could break us or yep. make us weak, but it exactly. made us stronger. Got that three and times. so we always get over 90%. There we go. And we also set a strike date. So we're going to be going out on October 17th unless the mayor wises up and does what is necessary for our students and our city. What's really ironic to me about this is because so many people are telling our stories. So many newspapers and the media is telling us, yep. take the deal. Take the deal. You're getting a 16% mm-hmm. raise. Got you money. make more than most of the people in Chicago. Yep. But we're not even really talking about money. Nope. We're talking about class size. We're talking about wraparound service like exactly. more nurses and psychologists. Librarians. And when we're trying to talk about them, they're trying to shut us up and say, shut up, take the deal. Yep. We don't want, we don't want to talk about that. Yep. We don't want to talk about traumatized students. We don't want to talk about students who don't get music and gym and libraries exactly. or you have libraries with no librarian. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to talk about. Exactly. But all you want to say is take the money, take the money. Exactly. You know, what I was really disappointed about was the the article they had in the Sun-Times because, you know, they've always been very pro-labor, in my opinion. And I've always mm-hmm. kind of liked the way their, their perspective was. But their editorial board had basically take the deal, teachers, it's as good as you're going to get. Or it was something lame, yeah, like, like you already won. Yeah. And you're, you're lucky. Yeah. You were lucky. Like, yeah. Like, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. But how about for our kids? Can we get lucky for them? Is that possible? Can we have the services they need? Can we have some at my school besides having a nurse one day a week in case somebody get hurt? Is that is that luck? Or maybe that's the plan. We just have to get lucky and not get hurt. And right. Since it. it's not a big deal, since you not having nurses and libraries in our school and not and kids being having 42 kids in a classroom. Since that's not a big deal, since you all say that's not a strikeable issue, what I want you to do is I want you to go into an overcrowded classroom. Yep. And I and I want you class. and I want you to teach a classroom of forty kids. And not just that, I want you to bring your child, enroll your student, your child there to mm-hmm. be a student at a school with forty kids. And I want you in that classroom. And I want you to teach that classroom. And I want you to tell them what it's like to see to teach forty students to have a lesson plan for them to diversify your instruction, to hear them when they're talking about all their trauma, when they don't have gym to go to, when mm-hmm. they don't have a library to go to, when they don't know how to check out a book. I want you to tell me after one month, just one month, not even a whole school year, right. just one month, and I want to hear your perspective then. I want to hear a before yep. and after. Exactly. That's right. And I mean, all, we have to do all that, and now they want to snatch our preps? I mean, come on. I mean, it's, go ahead. Especially my prep. I'm an elementary school teacher, mm-hmm. and so I get five preps a week. One is principal directed and I only get an hour. And so in that hour, it, it's a lot to do in an hour. I have to call parents. I have to grade papers. I have to put them in grade book. I have the lesson plan. I have to sometimes counsel students. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Of, it's just grading one set of papers for one. I have four classes, one set of papers for 30 kids, essays. Oh yeah. That takes more than a class exactly. period. But a lot of people don't understand that. And so when they say, Hey, we need more principal directed time that means less time in my classroom to evaluate and look at you look at assignments and analyze and prepare for my lesson right and forget about the time to collaborate and figure out what we can do better for our students we don't have any time for that that's just that's just crazy and what i really don't understand is this time around in the contract we have more money in the budget there's almost a billion dollars a billion with a b dollars more than they had last time and they're trying to talk about cuts what what's up with that and the thing about it is what we're asking for is not even for the whole billion i think what we're asking for is less than 500 million <laughs> so it, it it can be supported so i don't i don't understand it can totally be supported but apparently they have time to put out a whole website about why we should take the deal they apparently they got money for that And some of the things on this website, I just want to point out a couple things that they're saying. And I got it in my I know. So this is what we got. So this is one of the things she said. It's a a quote from the website. For many months, we've been negotiating in good faith with the two unions represent the majority of our employees. And then says, to ensure transparency with teachers, students, and parents, and families, we're going to provide all this information in the website. 
it, how is it transparent? We've been asking to do open bargaining since we started the live stream bargaining. How is that? How is that transparent? And they're only sending in lawyers. Even Rom, even come yeah, on. even Rom sent in a dude from the board. Come on, what are <laughs> you doing? Right. How, one I, is in one, huh? I know, right? I mean, how am I comparing you to Rom, and you're ending up on the bad side of that comparison? That doesn't make any sense. And she need to come in herself at least, you know, a couple times. If you showing good faith, you come in. Yeah, at least bring somebody besides the same old tired lawyers that have been there since daily. How is that good faith bargaining? I don't understand. Maybe I don't understand what good faith means. Yeah, I think Laura need to lower, call me and let me know yeah. what that means because I'm I'm not clear. I'm not clear either. I know. It don't make any sense. Another thing that they had on there, they're talking about how valuable it says teachers and staff are invaluable to our schools. Blah, blah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and here's the best part. Although we wish we could offer more to our teachers and support staff for all their hard work and dedication. Like, we're not asking you to offer more to us. It's more to the kids. Let's get some librarians. Let's get some clinicians. Let's get some PSRP support. That's what we need. We're not asking for more. In fact, you offered us that, and we said, no, get us the other stuff. I don't understand. These are the families and students who voted for you. I have this all in caps in my notes. Voted for you to support more schools, teachers, and clinicians, and social workers. We need this in the schools. That's what we need. Yes, less than a quarter of the schools in our district have a librarian. That's crazy. My students don't even know what it means to go to a library in a school. So I have to be the librarian. I have a class library. I have about 300 books in my class library. And I have to set aside time to have independent reading for my students. Now, because they don't have that in a library, I have to also spend time organizing my library. I have to figure out a system of fiction and nonfiction, scientific novels and all these different things. That's more time out of my schedule to organize a library in my classroom that I don't have to do if we had one. So I have to do library cards. I got to do a check-in, check-out system. Yep. And you, I have to do that because I want my students to experience what it's like to check out books and read books and enjoy books. But, if again, if we had a librarian, that would be something they could experience somewhere else. And I could dedicate more time to more reading and writing in my class. Right, with a professional that was trained in that field Correct. directly. So you can do the job you were trained to do exactly. within your classroom. Exactly. Wouldn't that be neat? Wouldn't seem, that be neat? I know. It seems like a billion dollars. Like, right. Yeah, it sounds like a billion dollars <laughs> could take care of that, I think. And, you know, th there's so many other things. Like, you know, we talk about um, teachers in the classroom. And they, they had the big thing in the on the webpage about how the average teacher is going to make 100 grand. Please. Yeah, right. See, yeah. See, and, I just said please this time. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to say something else besides yeah, please. Yeah, I, know. I ain't going to tell yeah, you she what would, he wanted She to wouldn't say. let me. So she, said, she, no. she corrected me. I said no. But um, no, because we have so many new teachers. Exactly. And the, and the more you, it's like in this system, the more you make, the less marketable you are. Now, mm -hmm. in the real world, you know, the more experience you have, the more marketable you are. But in CPS, it's not so. It's not that the way. The more money you're going to make and you're less marketable and it's a way to push you out. Exactly. So I don't see that the average teacher. Now, theoretically, yes, that could be correct. But with in actuality, no. Right. In 2018 and 19, we've had record number of teachers leaving the profession. And this has been in all kinds of publications. Not, uh, It's been in the Wall Street Journal. It's been in Forbes, The Economist. They're talking about this. And it's not just because of the pay they're leaving. It's because of the lack of support they have within the classroom and that the, they don't have the ability to serve the kids the way they need to. And this is why if the, the offer does not change, if it stays the same, that's why on October 17th, mm -hmm. we will not go to work. Nope. We will practice our power yeah, we will. and we will withhold our labor. Yes. So to all those who are listening, who are the big wigs, the decision makers, hear my voice. Lori. <laughs> I didn't say that, but yes, we're going to walk out on October 17th, 1201. There and there's not going to be some last minute deal nope. that you're going to give us at 11 o'clock midnight, I mean 11 o'clock an hour before midnight that you think we're going to look at and brush through and go to work the next day and say, oh, we mm -hmm. made a deal. We're not going to do that. Nope. You're going to be respectful of our time because we've been bargaining since January. Yeah. Eight and eight, nine months. So this does not make sense. And we don't have a contract. This does not make sense. Nope. So please take us seriously. Show us that you respect us. Show us that we are valuable teachers. Put it in writing. Give the students what they need. Exactly.
Okay, so now we're going to switch to how Illinois labor law affects us here in Chicago. When CBS finally gave us their first offer the day after we announced the results of the strike authorization vote, their lead negotiator also told us they had zero intention of putting anything in the contract that CTU is legally barred from striking over. Jim, I don't like that you're saying these things. It kind of hurts my soul to hear that. But, and if you call that an offer, okay. But, mm-hmm. you know, Chicago is the only school district in the state that bars teachers from striking over class size and staffing issues. Did what? you know that? What? That's crazy. I know. So we decided to bring in Kurt Hilgendorf, the CTU's legislative deputy, and Thad Goodchild, the CTU's legal counsel, to discuss how this came to be. Thanks for joining us, Kurt and Thad. Hey, thanks y'all for having us. Yeah, great to be here. So, can one of you talk to us about the political context in 1995 when the state legislator passed the Chicago School Reform Act? Sure, I'll take that one. 1995 was the only time in in the last 35 plus years when the Republican Party controlled both houses of the Illinois General Assembly and the governor's office. Mm. And so, the context for this particular law was that you had a powerful labor union in Chicago that had a long history of going on strikes from the late 1960s through the late 1980s. And you now had Republicans with an opportunity to stick in the eye of the Chicago Teachers Union, a piece of legislation that was basically a greatest hits of what not to do when it comes to running a school district. And this piece of legislation included not just the prohibited list of sub of bargaining subjects that we'll talk a little bit more about, but it also included getting rid of the pension levy that had existed for CP for CTPF, the Chicago teachers pension fund for decades at that point and rolling that into CPS's operating budget. It, it gave the mayor complete control over the schools. It allowed the mayor to appoint a CEO who didn't have to have any educational experience. And because the CTU was so thrilled about this entire package of legislation, it also included a provision that said the CTU could not go on strike for 18 months. Wow. Are we trying to do anything to like reverse those laws or anything like that? Yeah, there's been an effort to reverse that particular law multiple times. The The law itself has been amended in many ways over right. the years. Uh, most recently, we've done a couple of things to try to do it. One thing we've passed is, is a reinstitution of the property tax levy to support the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund, to stabilize the That's fund good. and make sure that people who are retired can get paid and have a, ret- a dignity in their retirement. Okay. Mm-hmm. That works in our favor. Yeah. Yeah. The other two things that we've done, the mayor's tried to squash both of them. Both Rahm and Lori have been sit have put a brick on the two bills. The first was to have an elected school board in the city of Chicago, Mm -hmm. something that 90% of the population in the city supports. And the second one is that we passed twice through the Illinois House, first in 2017, and most recently in the spring of this year, a bill to give us our bargaining rights back so that we can have the same negotiating conditions that every other school district in Illinois, all 850 other school districts have. And to make it so that the city of Chicago, where the students are predominantly uh, low income, predominantly black and brown, don't have to be discriminated against like the students in the rest of the state. So you said even Lori didn't put a brick in that. She did well, she wasn't in favor of those. Yeah, she bills. put John Cullerton, the Senate president. Right. On behalf of the mayor put a brick on that bill, wouldn't allow it to be called. It got 73 votes in the House. It would have had 74, but one of our biggest champions in the House was absent that day. The Senate president asked us to uh, make some changes to the bill once it got over there, which we agreed to do. We made the changes and it never moved again because the mayor, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, refused to have it move forward. And so the Senate president said, "Okay." Wow. So it sounds like originally... We have a Republican legislature that's targeting Chicago specifically because our labor activity here was getting uncomfortable for them downstate. Yeah, there was that reason, one. And two is that they viewed this as an opportunity to roll this out statewide. If anybody remembers the dark days of Bruce Rauner, he wanted to have the same bargaining procedures that are in Chicago for every district in the state. And the General Assembly said no. And None of the rest of the state got it, but we're still stuck with it. We still stuck with it. So does does that mean that we can't strike over class sizes and staffing, but we can just bargain over it? So what does that mean exactly for us as bargaining members in the CTU? 
Sure, I can speak to that uh, a little bit. So there are two um, categories of bargaining topics that are known as mandatory topics of bargaining and permissive topics of bargaining. And um, the 95 Amendatory Act that Kurt was uh, speaking about amended um, a number of statutes, including the Illinois Educational Labor Relations Act, which is the statute that governs collective bargaining uh, for public school teachers uh, in Illinois. And it created a section of that law called Section 4.5 that a lot of our members will be familiar with right. that only applies to CPS. Right. Um, and um, it spells out what are known as permissive subjects, things that CPS can bargain with us about that we can make proposals on. And indeed, we've bargained about in all of our contracts um, since um law was passed, um, but that we can't force CPS to bargain about, and most importantly, that we can't go on strike over. And um, you mentioned a couple of those topics, um, importantly, class size, class staffing, um, also things um, like decisions to subcontract positions, uh, decisions to um, implement uh, layoffs. Um, and decisions concerning uh, pilot programs. Um, so that narrows the subjects that are mandatory subjects of bargaining to the, the, the statutory languages, uh, wages, hours, and terms and conditions of employment, um, which is you know a very narrow range of things. Um, also in 4.5, I, I, I skipped a few. Um, we also, also things that are permissive subjects, um, length of the school day, length of the school year. Um, so those are all things, all the things that are in 4.5, uh, most importantly, um, staffing and class size. Those are things that the unions representing um, teachers all across the rest of the state of Illinois, the over 800 other school districts um, it, that Kurt mentioned, that they get in to, to bargain over and force uh, the school districts uh, to bargain over. Um, so it, it raises a question, right, of how we approach this uh, in negotiations. And it's clear that uh, the city's strategy the, uh, is to try to settle out all the things that are mandatory subjects of bargaining, um, dangle uh, what they believe to be uh, good offers uh, on wages in front of us, um, um, to try to get those things off the table so they can say that we're striking over things we don't have a legal right to um, exactly. and declare our strike illegal and get a judge to issue an injunction to force us back into work. Um, and our strategy and response is, hey, you know, this is all a package. Um, we need to have working conditions um, that, um, you know, are fair to students um, and allow teachers to do their jobs. Um, and on the mandatory subjects, we need to have offers that reflect the difficulty and value of our work. Um, so we are not going to settle uh, the mandatory subjects. The offers that they've made are not sufficient in those areas. We are not going to strike over the permissive subjects. Um, but um, we can go on strike and remain on strike until every last, um, sorry, pound on the table again. Uh, getting worked up on this stuff. Um, <laughs> yes, me too. In, in, until every last mandatory subject uh, is settled. And if in the meantime, uh, we're also able to uh, work out um, acceptable terms on things covering permissive subjects like class size uh, and staffing, uh, that would obviously be great. I think it's interesting. I know that um, there are a lot of things that teachers cannot strike over. I think about the um, the West Virginia strike and they were not, they legally were not allowed to strike what they did. And so I think about it, I'm not saying let's not, I'm not saying let's strike over things that are permissive, but what would happen if we did strike over something that was so-called permissive? You, I mean, are with 25,000 members go to jail, we'll be fine. What would happen? Because again, there are many strikes that teachers went on that were legal, but they still got things they wanted and there was no, I feel like there was no real repercussions to that. Sure. The um, the West Virginia strike in particular and a number of the others across um, the country in you know, red states that have mm -hmm. narrow or nearly non-existent collective bargaining rights are interesting examples. Um, those strikes, you know, for one thing, one thing that was different about them, that's, that was a statewide strike. Mm -hmm. um, that was mm -hmm. essentially uh, educators striking the state legislature mm -hmm. demanding okay. state funding. Uh, it wasn't during the course 
course of uh, negotiations for a contract. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that there were you know, teachers that were organized in a union, there were a bunch of different bargaining units, a bunch of different employers. Uh, the difference here is that you know we are in contract negotiations with Chicago Public Schools, our employer. We are the exclusive representative gotcha. of the people uh, in the bargaining unit. Um, and what the city would try to do um, in response, uh, is go to a judge. The Labor Act spells this out um, and say, you know, this, the, the union is striking over uh, topics um, that they don't have a legal right to, right. Um, which is an unfair labor practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would ask a judge to issue an injunction um, to force uh, teachers um, back to work. It would probably also, you know, the, the leaders of the union um, could be arrested. Um, they could levy fines. They could try to have us decertified as uh, a union. Um, You are right, though, to point, um, you know, the the, your finger at the fact that, um, you know, it would be pretty outrageous um, for, um, you know, a mayor who ran on our education platform or our education agenda issues that we've been advocating uh, over uh, for the last decade from us. And was elected, uh, winning every ward uh, in the city, uh, and then tries to have teachers uh, jailed and lose their union uh, for demanding that she put those promises uh, in writing. You know, frankly, you know, it's my job as as the union's lawyer is to you know try to advise us on how we can um, you know uh, use the law to our advantage and accomplish our goals uh, within the law. And I think, and that's what we're going to do, and that's what we're going to try to do. And I think that we can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there are some really interesting political and social forces pressing up against the legal ones too. We were talking about the problems we've got in 4.5 and kind of the restrictions that puts on us here as an organizing movement going forward, but this is fightable. It's not something that is written in stone. It's written in law and laws can change. So what are our That's next right. steps to move forward from this? And where do we go as a union kind of bringing this power back to the city and to our members and, and to the citizens of Chicago? Well, we're not going to give up our fight in the state legislature to get this bill passed. The reality is is that we had a veto-proof majority in the House. We would have had the votes there in the Senate if the bill would be called. And that it's only the right thing for the mayor to do is to back the way in which she is able to implement the things that that she ran on, which is what we've been advocating for for a decade, which is appropriate class size to make sure that students have the staffing and the supports that they need to make sure that parents can see the stability and predictability in schools that they get in in all kinds of other parts of the state, small towns, et cetera. And so there's nothing that's – if we go on strike, then – it's about mandatory subjects that have reverberations in ways that we don't always aren't always going to anticipate. Exactly. One of the things that was most fascinating about the 2012 strike is that there's a direct link between all of the strikes that Andrea mentioned and what happened in CTU. In fact, there right. was one of the person, the people who was involved very directly in Arizona was on strike in Chicago in 2012 and then said, here's what we learned and took it to where she was right. in Arizona to lead that strike. And so I think what you see is that you see it's not just a statewide ones, but you have you've had sit, strikes in cities across the country, L.A., Oakland, Denver, and three times at charter schools last year here in Chicago, and that the public is on the side of teachers, that the, 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 the position is that there is not another profession on the planet where people That's bring right. their most precious cargo, drop it off in the morning, come back seven hours later, and not only is it in the same conditions, it's better off than it was <laughs> when it right. got dropped off in that the morning. That is the truth. Like there is, and, and, like, and let's be the other thing. You don't have the same kind of hardball tactics deployed with the police, no, with the firemen. Mm-hmm. You know what the biggest difference mm-hmm. is between those two organiza- those two groups of workers is that teaching continues to be predominantly women and that there's this idea yeah. that women are just supposed to take whatever they're given. That's right. And I have a problem with that. Yeah. You know, and I think that I it's clear me too. <laughs> you know, it's clear that an or- you know, that a membership that's 80% women deserves to be treated with the same kind of respect as everybody else. Exactly. And so I think that that's why when when we think about what the next steps are, you know, the House of Delegates voted, authorized and set a strike date. The membership voted 94% in favor of one. Yep. We know what we got to do. Exactly. Well said. Thank and on that guys. note, thank you all for coming. Thank I'm you so motivated. Much. We're going to continue to fight and we're going to win. Yeah, we will. Thank you all for having us on. Uh, we're happy to come back anytime you want a couple of nerds to talk again. All right. <laughs> Thanks for we having us. We love you, nerds. Thanks. <laughs> we are now in the presence of two awesome guests. These are 
hardworking parents who are in support of teachers. And we are All thankful right. to have them on the show. Yes, we are. We are going to let them introduce themselves um, as we begin to have this discussion about this looming strike. Hi, uh, I'm Julie Dworkin. Um, I'm a parent of two kids, one at Goethe Elementary and one at Jones College Prep. I've had kids nice. at CPS since 2008. Hi, my name is Erica Clark. Uh, I am a parent of two children who graduated from CPS, and uh, I'm the co-founder and I run a group called Parents for Teachers. Awesome. Once a parent, always a parent, right? There That's you right. go. Yes, student. Can't awesome. help it. Thank you all for being here today. And thank you, awesome, for just supporting teachers as we are teaching students um, in this um, school system. So why are you supporting teachers in this looming strike? A lot of parents are saying we hear things like, why are they striking? Don't they make enough money? Every time a contract is up, there's always this threat of a strike. You know, stay in the classroom. What is it? You have a good, decent contract proposal. Take the deal and let's go. Why are you all in support of teachers during this time? Well, I'm supporting teachers because I believe that all the improvements we've seen at the, at the Chicago Public Schools has been because of things that teachers fought for. They are fighting right. for a better learning environment for our kids. Mm-hmm. They're not fighting to advance their own personal ambitions. They're fighting for things that are going to make our schools better. If we have smaller class sizes, more support staff, um, kids can't learn when they come to school and they're experiencing trauma, if they're experiencing homelessness. Teachers are trying to get social workers to help people address those problems. Um, and there there aren't enough. I, I mean, my daughter was going through a hard time last year and I tried to connect her with a school psychologist mm-hmm. and I was told, sorry, there's a wait list. Wow, a wait wow. list. Yeah, and, and wow. you know, and the problems my daughter was facing aren't even as severe as as kids that are witnessing right. violence every day in their neighborhoods. They they need those kinds of supports, and that's what teachers are fighting for. I agree. That's that's true. Did you want to add to that? Yeah, I I think um, what we've seen over the years in organizing parents is that most parents do support the, their teachers. They realize that um, the needs of teachers and the needs of their children go hand in hand. You can't right. separate the, separate those two. So, you know, the prior mayor, who shall remain nameless, um, used to say, you know, he was for putting kids first. But you can't put the kids first if you're putting their teachers last. So Say that again. You you can't put the kids first if you're putting their teachers last. Snap, snap. And and that's really what we've seen over the last eight years. And I think, like Julie said, most parents see the conditions in their schools. They understand that the teachers really want the best for their students. And so I think that um, there's a lot of chatter, you know, in social media and, and, you know, in the pages of the Tribune and other papers. But I think when it comes right down to it, most, most parents do believe in their teachers and support their teachers. And I just want to add, even the, the salary requests that they're making are ultimately going to help my kids because it's going to keep the best teachers in the Chicago public schools instead of going to exactly. the suburbs or going to private schools. That's going to help my kids in the long run. That's true, because if you have great teachers, you want to make sure they stay. Yep. And you don't want them to leave. I agree with that. Exactly. So what would you say um, to other parents that might think CPS teachers are greedy and they're not thinking about the kids, that all they're trying to do is get more money for themselves or something like that? Well, what I would say, I would ask them to think about their experience with teachers and the times that their teachers have gone above and beyond Mm -hmm. for their kids. The times when they stayed after school to help a kid with a project, the time they got in touch with a parent on off hours to say, I think something's going on with your kid. The times that they spent money, their own money on school supplies to have a better classroom. And then really ask themselves, are these people who are, are doing this because they're trying to enrich themselves? Or are these people who really care about kids getting a good education? I think any parent who really thinks about the way their their teacher has gone above and beyond for their kids would understand that that's what they're about. That's what my kids' teachers have been about. So you're saying I'm not going to get rich doing this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like what you said earlier about how you organize parents and your parent uh, your organization helps organize parents and you know help support the school. How do you how do you do that? Well we do a lot of meetings in okay. schools with parents. Like right now we've got a meeting every day for the next like week and a half in schools where we sit down with parents and we talk about what's really at stake in the contract. Because, um, again, if you just read the newspapers and watch the news, you don't really uh, 
get the full picture. Right. You know, all the mayor wants to talk mm -hmm. about is the, is the salary offer and it's, how mm -hmm. great it is and the teachers should just take the deal. But um, there's not a lot of discussion about some of these other issues that are really important to teachers and to parents. So we sit down with parents and we uh, talk about the real issues in the contract and then we try to engage them in taking some actions to support the teachers. So what's like the latest actions? So well, how we supported teachers. We recently? we have a we have a, a a weekly action called Support Your Teachers Tuesday, where we're asking people to yes. call the mayor every Tuesday and tell her that you stand with the teachers, that you support their contract proposals, and you want her to put her promises in writing. I love it. I'm, that sounds great. I, my son just graduated from high school, so I'm always a parent as well of a CPS student. I'll be calling, so I'll be doing that on Tuesdays, Me not too. just from a teacher perspective, but from a parent perspective as well. So if you had the opportunity to stand in front of the mayor or the board, a board member, and you had one minute to say, why should they give us what we need? What would you say? I would say um, I want you to show us that this administration is different than the past administrations mm. right. um, and that this administration ran on different types, types of principles and different types of priorities. And the city has the money to invest in education. They just have always put the money towards other priorities. So what I would say, make the right priorities and put our kids' education first. I like that. You will convince me, me if I was on the board. Nice. What about, what would you say, if you had one minute in front of the mayor or a board member, what would you say to, you know, to prevent this looming strike? Well, I've, I've testified before the Board of Ed more times than I care to admit to. But mm. if I did it again or if I had uh, time with the mayor, I think I would echo what Julie just said. We were promised a new day by this mayor, and I think what we're seeing is business as usual. Mm. And that's not right. okay. And I think that's why you see teachers teachers have set a strike date. Staff is, uh, staff, school staff has set a, a strike date, and even the Park District employees have set a strike date. That's so true. people yep. are serious. They want it. People voted for a new day, and it's, it's time she starts delivering on that. Exactly. And this all can't be because, again, people are greedy or because these mm. are unreasonable issues. If you got 94% of CTU and you have 97% of SEIU agreeing to this, right. then you, you have to realize something got to be wrong. We had a guest on our last episode that, talked about the the budget and the contract with CPS being a moral document, that this is the mayor's moral commitment to us as citizens, students, and parents here in the city. So how do you think CPS really treats parents and teachers and the students? I mean, my experience at CPS is that from, from the beginning, it's just been plagued with all kinds of problems because of the underfunding, the way we fund exactly. education. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I've had situations where school's starting in two weeks and I don't even know if my kid's in half day or full day kindergarten, mm. you know, wow. like how is a parent supposed to deal with that? Right. I think that th those kinds of problems make parents angry and make them feel exactly. like, why am I, why am I doing this? Well, you know, why am I putting up with this? We're paying our taxes, right. you know, for public education and this, this is what we're getting. But honestly, the thing that has made me stick with CPS and the thing that's made it all worth it to me is, is the experience I've had with teachers. Um, the teachers that my kids have had, they have truly loved them. They love my kids and they've been, you know, a great, it's been a great experience for them. And so that's, good. that's what makes me kind of want to stick with it even through all the problems. Thanks. Well, thank you for sticking with it for, <laughs> thank for, you. for our sake and for your kids' sake. Thank yeah. you so much. So what about what are your perspective? I know that you organize Parents for Teachers organization. Did that arise? What, how did that arise? Was it because anger with CPS was because you felt like teachers were mistreated or something different? Yeah, it, it, we started back in 2011 mm -hmm. after the last mayor uh, came to office on a mm -hmm. really on a platform of bashing teachers. You know, yeah. teachers are greedy. Teachers Before he became mayor. Sure, the teachers gave the kids the shaft. We're going to put the screws to the exactly. teachers. We're going to have a longer day. We're not going to pay them for it. We're going to steal their raise. <laughs> so it was this constant barrage yeah. of teacher bashing. And we were a group of parents who felt that does not at all reflect the experience we had in our schools with right. our teachers who were working their tails off. Um, and in answer to your prior question, I think what I would say is that Teachers, schools, students uh, succeed in CPS despite CPS, despite the district and despite right. the mayor and despite the politicians. And they do it because the teachers and the staff are there every day 
working hard, caring mm-hmm. for the children and caring for the students. So we wanted to try to organize you know, a political force to, say, to, to come out with that message. You know, we were parents who were volunteering in the classrooms and you know, doing the bake sales and raising the money. And we thought, well, we need to take this idea of teacher-parent unity and support out into the streets and start mobilizing parents to, to really be a, a public force to speak out in, in support of the teachers and the teachers' union. Because at the time, it became very obvious that the teachers' union was, was fighting for the things that our children needed in the classroom. Right. Awesome. I just thank you all so much for coming because I know that yes, we cannot make much. it through this fight without the support of parents. We just cannot. So we just thank you for your support and we just want more parents like you in our system. So um, before we end, can you just tell how can parents join your organization? Um, we have a website, parentsforteachers.net. That's parents with a number four, okay. teachers.net. Nice. Or you can email us at info at parentsforteachers.net. Keep up the fight. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. just walked in the door. Who's that? Stacy Davis Gates, the CTU's vice president. Nice. So we have the opportunity to interview her, okay? She's in a room with a podcast app. Wow, look at okay, that. Colton Hamilton. So, nice. I know. All right. All right, Stacy. So you're coming in this time from three different angles. You come in, in this with it from a unionist perspective, a teacher perspective, as well as a parent because you have children in CPS as we speak. In terms of your identity and how you identify yourself with being a part of this movement, how would you say, what is primary? Is it like you're, you're coming from this as a parent, a teacher, a unionist? How would you say that you're seeing this and what in what lens are you mostly seeing this from? You know, um, that's the complexity that isn't being talked about. Um, I think I cringe a lot a bit every time <laughs> I hear um, the mayor sh- someone, some official from the Chicago Public Schools say um, how parents are going to be inconvenienced. The first thing that I say is that, you know, that is quintessentially what parenting is. Um, (laughs) That's true. Right. Every day. Exactly. (laughs) And and so, but we only talk about parents when workers are asserting themselves in a particular way. We don't talk about the parents when there's not a librarian in the school, mm, right? right? We don't. We don't. My son is in a school right now, like most black kids are in Chicago, without a librarian. And you know the feeling that I had? It was, am I, am I as a parent, failing my son? Right. Because he's in that school. And what it also revealed to me is how many parents even ask that question because I think most of us just expect that to be there. Like, who would conceive of a school without a librarian? Right. Just, like, we, we're we so into the details and so far into this fight that sometimes we forget to step back and, like, evaluate this from just a very common perspective. Right. 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 Yep. And then you find out that there's not a librarian in the school, that you expect it to be in the school you you start questioning the decisions that you've made for your child. Because the only thing that you get to do as a parent is love them, take good care of them, protect them, and prepare them for their own future. Like, that's our job. Right. And so when you've helped to make decisions in their lives because you're the primary and it results in their school not having a librarian, there are all sorts of emotions. Inconvenience is not the first thing that comes to mind. Failure is the mm. first thing that comes to mind for me as a mom. Yeah. Like, am I doing this wrong? Right? Right. Um, a librarian is very basic to one's education. Why would you ever think that the librarian would even be there? Um, you know, I remember in 2012, we were fighting for air conditioners in school buildings. Yep. You know, we get so far flung into this fight. But to just come backwards and to look at like that issue, it's a big deal. An air conditioner in the school, in schools that were year-round schools, mm. right? Wow. Um, 
you know, it, 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 yeah, being a parent is tough, period. And the added pressures of being a black parent in Chicago is daunting. Um, you read the statistics about black boys, um, how the city doesn't love them, how they are feared in the city. You know, you have all of this pressure to make every report card pickup, to make the meetings, to be available, to get homework in on time. And it's difficult, you yeah. know? It's, it's difficult. It's very difficult to be a parent of a kid in Chicago. And, and when people talk about inconvenience, they're not talking about the inconvenience of seeing um, a young man like this past summer. Um, I was driving to pick my daughter up from dance class and there's a kid in the middle of the street shooting a gun. I don't know who he's shooting at, no. right? I don't know if the person is behind me. I don't know if I'm in the crossfire. I am literally paralyzed. The saving grace from that traumatic experience is that I left the other two at home on my way to get the one, right? Right. The, that's, so you say inconvenience? Right. Right. I'm insulted by that as if we don't have more than just inconvenience. Right. Right. And I and I share your sentiments because my son just graduated from a CPS mm -hmm. school, actually from Hyde Park, where I went to school. And it was um, very bothersome to me that a lot of things that I experienced at high school, he did not have those same experiences. Wow. So just even his senior year, they didn't have a yearbook teacher. And so my son graduated from school without a high school yearbook to look at those memories. Wow. I, it's been 20 years since I graduated from high school and I still look at my yearbook and I still like look at those memories. He doesn't have that. And so it was very insulting to me, like, I'm talking to the professor, you don't have a yearbook. And I felt the same way, like, do I take my son out? What do I do? Like, do I, how much do I have to advocate for my child? And the same thing with um, the newspaper. I had a school, we had a school newspaper and we did really well in the school um, newspaper to the point where I majored in journalism in college. So I just feel like a lot of these kids, they are not exposed and what's in them cannot be cultivated because a lot of things are not there. And so I totally understand where you're coming from. I was constantly on the LSC and begging for things. We, I, we didn't get everything and we didn't get the yearbook teacher. So it was just very, it was hard. It is and, hard. And it's like, so I work every day. Mm -hmm. I'm raising my son. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. What you're supposed to do. But you're also then required if you want your kid to have more than right. the nothing that CPS continuously offers them. You're required to advocate on the LSE. You're required to organize right. with other parents. And like you said, a lot of parents on the north side don't experience the same thing that we as African-American No, but you experience. know what they do are required on the north mm -hmm. side. So I don't want to like make that comparison in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Those parents are required to fundraise to make sure that they right. have the art teacher. You're right. Yep. But my, because I have a friend who's also a teacher and she has two daughters. She stays on the south side, but she had to take her kids to a north side school because the schools on the south side don't have the librarian and the um, the art right. teacher and the music teacher like that in her neighborhood schools don't have that. So she has to have an hour commute to school, to the North side and back home and, you know, and to work every single day just so her kids can have that. And I was like, again, another form of discrimination, like, or why do I have to travel all the inconvenience? Yeah. I got to yeah. travel all over there every morning, every day to take my kids to school because they have dance and because they have art, they have the basic things yep. that every school in every district have because we all are, we just one district. We're not a separate district. So my thing is if, like you have three children, you're not going to take two of those kids in New York and take them to a Broadway <laughs> musical and say, I want you right. to, and show you the Statue of Liberty and say, well, I can't, I can't afford to take you. That's right. What are you, what are you saying? That's neglect. So if I can't take all of them, I can't take any of them. And so what parent just takes two children or even right. one on a trip and leaves two behind? Well, if they CPS don't do that. was a parent, we would be calling DCFS. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that doesn't even count the idea that so many parents assume these services are there in the school. Because if I wasn't in the school, why wouldn't there be a nurse? Why wouldn't there be a librarian? Of course there is. You know, and so many parents just, I think, believe because when I was in school, it was. It was. And, yeah. you know, I went to school out on the East Coast and we actually had substitute nurses. Our school wasn't allowed to be open without a nurse because wow. a kid could be hurt any day. That was just the way it was. And why wouldn't it be like that? Like in my school, we got a nurse on Tuesday. So Monday. Don't, Monday. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe we got the same nurse. Right? <laughs> but I mean, how can you tell a kid don't hurt yourself on Wednesday because you got to wait a week till you can see anybody? That that doesn't even make any logical sense. And I think most parents would just believe that's what it is. And I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine. He's a building contractor the other day. And we were talking. I just came home from school and I was sweating pretty profusely because my school is super hot. And he's like, well, why wouldn't they have air conditioning? And I tried to explain. He's like, well, how can kids possibly learn if they're all sweaty and hot and not being able to pay attention? I'm like, exactly. And he just assumed because he's got kids in CPS. And he's like, did my school have air conditioning? I'm like, I don't know if your school does or not, but a lot of them still don't, even though we did go back out in 2012 talking about that. And I think there's just that assumption that, of course, CPS would take care of our kids. And they just plain don't, even though now they've got an extra billion dollars to take care of what needs to be taken care of. Good point, Jim. So let's transition. So we talk about the parent perspective. Let's talk about the teacher perspective, because you've been you you still always going to see yourself as a teacher. Absolutely. And so when you first became a teacher, how has you how has your perspective of teaching changed or what we receive or how CPS deals with teachers change since you've been a teacher? Well, you know, I would say that I've had quite the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, my first year in Chicago Public Schools, Arnie Duncan came to the Lorraine Hansberry Theater at Inglewood and said we were failures and wow. that we were going to be closed. Wow. That was my like second semester or first oh. experience. Um, and then I went to Clemente. And Clemente was a um, welcoming school for the students who had gotten closed out of Austin High School. And so um, I've seen it. Yeah. I've experienced it. And I remember the fights on the corner of Division and Western every single day. I remember keeping our kids um, upstairs and walking them to the bus stop. I remember the anxiety that the other workers in the building had because if you blame the kids from Austin for the reason why Austin closed, then the workers at Clemente were on high alert because then you would close them down too, right? Right. And so that that becomes an issue. We got to do better. You know, exactly. I can almost be emotional about this because as a as a teacher you make a choice to come to the Chicago Public Schools you because you feel deeply about justice. You feel mm-hmm. deeply about the 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 over 90% students of color deserve a, a shot at more than what the surroundings provide. Correct. Right? So you're making a very deliberate choice to be here. And then you you go into the school communities and there is this ongoing assessment of that which is not there and you're trying to figure it out you're you're trying to figure it out you're trying to make it happen and then you tell the district what you need you tell the city what you need and they laugh at you or they put you on the back burner or they ignore you and it just becomes it becomes difficult i'll be honest with you i am always humbled by the commitment that our members have in their school communities and how that commitment then transfers over to their union. I don't even know how they have enough energy to make it out of their school communities Mm. to even come to CTU to make phone calls or to have a meeting or to build out contract proposals or to get on a door and have a conversation. Like the amount of work that our members have done over time to shift and transform this city, man, we owe them a debt of gratitude, not just for what they do in their school communities, but what they do in our larger community. That's true. And so now transitioning from a teacher to now being the CTU's vice president, and there's so much negative rhetoric out there about our CTU leadership, especially you. And I know I feel like sometimes it's from the African-American woman perspective, these these this negative rhetoric about oh Stacy's manipulating you all she's deceptive <laughs> you know how can you believe her you know so as CTU's vice president how you feel that you're being treated and how do you feel like what is the next steps for us as as a union well you know I, one I just think we have to treat each other well 
as people. Um, all of us, uh, we are working towards the same end. And I think sometimes we mix up intention and impact. And, you know, you just have to be grownups about it and move it forward. Look, the bottom line is that we're here to transform the Chicago public schools yep. into a space where all of our children can get a modicum of justice, right. respect, and a decent education. That's why we're here. Um, so you focus on that. And, and, and beyond anything, look, the one thing that I do know, because I am a history teacher, is that name transformative leadership in any capacity at any point in history and check popularity. It doesn't exist. Transformation by definition is difficult mm -hmm. and it requires people to stretch beyond their comfort level. And when people are in discomfort, they're not happy. That's true. That's right. Yep. So I'm acutely aware of how we martyr and romanticize leaders afterwards. Yep. Mm. Well, there you have it. Stacey Davis Gates, Chicago Teachers Union, Vice President. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate this. Look, this is dope. <laughs> I am is so dope. like, I'm so like pleased with like everything that you all are doing. Like, so when I talk about members coming in after work and getting stuff done. Y'all are the two members I'm talking about, too. Appreciate it. Thanks. This is an amazing, yeah. amazing addition to our organizing work. Thank you. Thanks so much. So we got Jesse Sharkey, a cameo. Jesse in the house. Jesse Sharkey what, what? in the house I just, with some food. I, I just walked into and this, I'm hungry. This, I just walked into this room at like 8 o'clock at night with a little bit of food. Um, <laughs> House of Delegates just voted a, a strike deadline. <laughs> Woo -hoo, woo -hoo. And I, you know, and so I thought I didn't want to be alone. So I thought I would come in here with some food and sure enough, you guys are hard at it. <laughs> uh, let me just say a hundred percent. I have Stacey's back and, and she has mine. Um, That's right. I, you know, I am, I am as confident as I could be about the leadership of this union right now. Um, we care about uh, our schools. We care about our members. Uh, we care about what's important and we're going to fight till we win. Well said, Jesse. Yes. One of the things that I've noted about this podcast is how liberally the Chicago Tribune has um, quoted uh, folks in it. Like you have two stories that are prominently featured um, this podcast. You know, people are listening. People are absolutely listening. It's very relevant. It speaks to the issues and it highlights the, the voice of those who are doing the work and who are sacrificing the most. Thanks. That's our CTU vice president. <laughs> I feel so supported. Me too. <laughs>our time has come to an end Aww. for now okay to remind everybody that's listening to this um you can give us a call here at ctu speaks our phone number is 312-467-8888 that has a nice ring to it it does lots Say of again eights. jim i'm gonna it's 312-467-8888 also you can leave us a voicemail if you'd like there and you can email us at ctu speaks at ctulocal1.org Tell us any issues you've got, comments, and tell me how wonderful I sound on the radio. And Jim, you forgot, don't forget to tell your friends. Tell your friends about the podcast. All of them. And even tell your enemies. Why not? Yeah, tell everybody. They'll like it too. Have Lori subscribe. Tell everyone you know, that you love, that you hate. Tune in to CTU Speaks. 